0: Hello and welcome to the Deathcast. I'm your host, best-selling author Ian Totten. I'd like to thank you for joining me this week. Uh, We have a special edition this week. If you'll remember last week, we covered the murder of Frank Carlson. Well, this week we have been able to get Frank's brother, Eric, to come on the show and discuss the case, uh, to discuss Frank's life, as well as the upcoming parole for the perpetrator of that crime. Eric, are you on the line?
1: I am on the line, Ian. Very nice well, to be here with you today.
0: Yes, thank you for coming on the death Cast. I appreciate it. Uh, let's start at the beginning. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about the crime?
1: Um, well, um, it happened over the night of April 18th into April 19th of 1974, Um, My older brother Frank Carlson, age 25, and his wife Annette, also age 25, uh, were living in a part of San Francisco uh, called Potrero Hill. Um, It's a working class neighborhood, or at least it was in the 70s anyway. Uh, They had bought an old Victorian 1301 Kansas Street. They were rehabbing it, fixing it up, turning it into their their first home. Uh, They had married in 1971. And uh, they were, um, you know, just a a, a happy young couple. Uh, My brother went to San Francisco State University. He graduated with a degree in English and journalism. Um, He was working. He was the assistant manager of the Safeway grocery store um, on 19th Avenue in San Mateo. Uh, For anybody out there that knows the Bay Area. I know it. Okay. Um, He... uh, uh, was uh, at home on um, the evening of the eighteenth um, with his wife. Uh, he was doing paperwork in the dining room downstairs um, around eleven thirty at night. Their home was broken into. Um, the perpetrator of the crime climbed in through a, a second-story window that was accessible through a a, a low roof off the back of the house uh, Mm -hmm. backyard. Um, The intruder broke in, um, surprised my uh, sister in law, who was asleep at the time. Uh, He had a knife, threatened to kill her. She screamed. Uh, Frank ran upstairs, said. Please don't hurt her. Um, He marched them downstairs to the dining room and kitchen of the home. Forced Annette to f- tie Frank up um, and proceeded to use things he found around their home to beat Frank to death. Mm-hmm. Um, a horrific crime. Um, the. People that were on the scene um, said it was really one of the worst crime scenes they'd ever seen in their lives. Uh, The perpetrator was not done, though. He took Annette upstairs and for the next three hours raped, tortured, and beat her. Mm -hmm. Um, Thought she was dead, left her for dead. She was an artist. She had a lot of art supplies in a second bedroom upstairs Mm -hmm. where she did her work, um, including uh, large cans of paint thinner. So he took the paint thinner, um, poured it around her set the house on fire went downstairs poured uh, more paint thinner around my brother's body um, set the house on fire downstairs and left Um, annette was not dead she managed to pull herself together climb out onto the roof through the window that the perpetrator used to gain access screamed Um, people in the neighborhood came took care of her called the fire department, called the police department, um, and things just sort of unfolded from there.
0: As I understand, uh, the perpetrator's name, if I'm not mistaken, you can correct me on the pronunciation, it's Angelo Pavlo or? Pavajo. Pavajo, okay. Pavajo, yeah. So now, when did you learn of what had happened uh, to your
1: brother and sister-in-law? Um, Friday morning, um, I was a 16-year-old getting ready to go to high school, um, sort of, you know, waking up, having my breakfast. Um, I heard a a blood-curdling shriek from my parents' bedroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father had already gone to work. Uh, my mom was preparing to go to work, and she had the radio on and was listening to the news station, KCBS. and. Mm-hmm. He heard that uh, broadcast over the radio. Um, I was kind of confused because I had not heard the broadcast. I only heard what she was saying. Mm -hmm. Um, Calmed her down to whatever degree I could. Um, She called the San Francisco Police Department. They put her through three or four layers of bureaucracy. And um, the people on the other end basically confirmed what we had heard on the radio. Um, and things just sort of progressed from there.
0: Yes, that that was something I was not aware of. Uh, is you know your family didn't even learn it from the police initially.
1: Yeah, I mean the crime occurred at like three, four in the morning, mm-hmm. and and what happened back in those days is reporters would have police scanners, and they would just listen to chatter and. Yeah. They caught the chatter and went to the scene and um, you don't have the mechanisms in place that we have today to safeguard against that kind of, of, of news sharing mm-hmm. before people can be properly informed. Yes. Um, so, yeah, that, that uh, unfortunately was how they did things in
0: 1974. Yeah. And so to let our the listeners know if they haven't listened to the episode Annette did not perish, and she was actually able to make an ID, and they were able to capture the man responsible using uh, the jewelry that he had stolen.
1: That's but- correct. He he was trying to pawn it, and mm-hmm. uh, there was uh, graphics sent to all the pawn shops in San Francisco Bay Area to be on the lookout. Mm-hmm. And the person who saw the jewelry had the presence of mind to. Uh, delay a transaction, and then immediately call the cops. So when the guy came back, they were able to uh, take him into custody and eventually trace it back to to the criminal.
0: Okay. Now, so how, how did initially, how did this affect your family? I have to imagine that this had to have been absolutely devastating. I mean, I know I've seen interviews with you on the website justiceforfrank.org where you say your brother was really you know your hero you looked up to him
1: yeah there was nine years between the two of us so um he wasn't just my brother he was my big brother and both my parents work both our parents work they they uh sort of put me in his care and custody after school um i hung out with him i do things with his friends you know go off to the the you know the 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 fields you know while playing football and baseball i'd be like hanging out and uh i don't know for for any of your your listeners who who have older siblings um i think the relationship is is an interesting one because they're kind of like your spirit guides you know they've gone through life and you're going through things that they can sort of give you perspective or wisdom on and um, you know our parents loved us and and they took care of us and they nurtured us and they taught us but at the same time you know my brother was in a position to sort of you know help me to process things like you know like the Vietnam War and mm-hmm. and what was going on at that time in terms of of you know pop culture and music and cars and 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 we we you know, I think, you know, we, we had a a relationship built on that sort of, you know, spirit guide wisdom thing going on. I mean, I, I think he genuinely liked having somebody my age to 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 help. Mm-hmm. So um, losing him was was, you know, extremely traumatic in that regard. Um. I won't even go into what it means for parents to lose a child. Um my wife and I do not have children. Yes. I I I I I I can't bear the thought of going through that. And we just decided we wouldn't do that. We you know, it, it things, things like this impact your life in many many ways and um I mean I'm not saying that it 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 broke me but it's it's something that I carry around with me yes and I my my heart breaks for my parents and um the void that was created
0: that that's that's understandable that's one of the things that people who follow true crime don't really grasp is the long Standing ramifications of a crime of this magnitude it doesn't just affect those who were physically attacked or you know the individual who died it also affects the family and generations of a family after that
1: yeah and 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 um you know thankfully crimes like this are few and far between mm-hmm. um but i will say um i wouldn't wish this experience on my worst enemy
0: I I can I can understand that one. You know, I've I've read a number of things online and, you know, redacted parts of the, the police report. And it's one of the most horrific crimes I've ever encountered. And that's that's saying something.
1: And and as you as you go through life, it's it's fascinating to sort of, you know, take this burden along with you. Um <laughs> the penal system of the state of california unfortunately will not let us put it behind us Mm -hmm. Um, but that's just how the state of california rolls and i wouldn't want to live anywhere else so if i'm going to live in california i kind of got to deal with it um it's it's cruel it's impersonal um it's heavily weighted in favor of the convict Mm-hmm. And the convicts' rights as opposed to the rights of the individuals that were impacted. I mean, candidly, my lived experience and all the things that I've had to wrestle with, these are crimes visited on me by Angelo Pavaggio, but they're not necessarily crimes that are on the books. Yes. And and you as an individual just have to sort of dust yourself off, figure it out, and, and move on. Mm-hmm. Um, and my parents and I, I mean, we, we each did that in our own way. Mm-hmm. Um, they have both passed away, and, and now I'm trying to do the best I can to ensure that my brother's life has meaning and significance.
0: Yes, understand, for those who are unaware, California did at one point have the death penalty in the 1970s. The state overturned that on constitutional grounds, so... Pava Joe's death sentence was commuted to life with the possibility of parole, which, if I'm not mistaken, basically means that at least at that period of time, every three years, he could p- potentially receive a parole hearing, correct?
1: Well, it, it's a really complicated process, and I won't bore your listeners to death because it, it I could spend all day talking about how it works or, mm-hmm. or doesn't work. Um, the parole board has the latitude to impose extensions of sentences on individuals based on what happens at a parole hearing. Okay. And the um, dysfunction inherent in my brother's murder was related to the elimination of the death penalty and the fact that California did not have a law on the books, or I should say a, a term on the books, other than life with parole, they didn't have a life without parole. Okay. So Pavajo and 67 other individuals, including Sirhan Sirhan and many members of the Manson family, mm-hmm. all of a sudden started getting parole, um, which was not part of the plan. Um, the legislators scrambled quickly to reimpose terms and conditions. So today, California does have a death penalty and it does have life with no parole. It's just that these guys slipped through a crack, and now here we are. Of the 67 individuals that received this treatment, uh, 19 of them are still with us and Mm -hmm. still in prison, and uh, Papa Joe is one of them.
0: Yes, and we're going to talk about that in just one brief second. Um, Just to give the listeners an idea, who was Frank?
1: Wow. Um, he was my older brother, as everybody yeah. knows. Um, born and bred in San Francisco, loved San Francisco. Um, he grew up, formatively speaking, in the summer of love, you know, the 65, '8 6, period. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's when he was in his late teens. Um, he was not a hippie, but he was... Um, fascinated by the culture. He was a music nerd. He and his friends used to go to Fulmore West and the Avalon Ballroom and see all the bands. You know, it was Jefferson Airplane. It was the Grateful Dead. It was Buffalo Springfield and Neil Young. And I mean, y- you probably know the, the, the list is as long as my arm. Mm-hmm. Um, he played the guitar, um, was constantly fiddling around with it. And he and his buddies were Not a band, but. Tried to pretend they were Um, at the same time. uh, Frank was a a motivated individual. He really wanted to be a journalist. Um, He was uh, on staff at the Phoenix, which is the San Francisco State uh, School newspaper, so Mm -hmm. he did a lot of entertainment uh, columns and reviews and, and articles about life in San Francisco. Um, but his job was, you know, running the Safeway store. Um, he he uh, uh, was, was interviewing at the time at Rolling Stone. They'd given him, like, three opportunities. And each time they said, OK, you're not quite there. Go back out into the world and do some more stuff and come back. So he was nurturing a, uh, a dream. Yes. Uh, His wife um, uh, was an artist, still is an artist today. Um, She worked in an art gallery downtown. Um, We found out afterwards that uh, because she took the bus and the bus stop was in front of their home, um, that Pavajo had been stalking her for some period of time, um, following her on the bus to work. Um, We still don't know to this day, why he really did what he did, um, he has not been forthcoming. Yes, um, but you know it's it's just sad and 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 tragic and and evil and uh, uh, anyway. But but my brother was awesome. He 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 and I were both car nuts. We talked about cars all the time. We talked about girls. We talked about music. We talked about San Francisco. He he you know was your classic, you know, late 60s San Francisco young guy. So, you know, he helped me to process everything that was going on around us. You know, Richard Nixon, the the, the, the Vietnam War, um, you know, our, our parents would sort of lay down the rules and regulations, and then I'd come back to him, and he'd say, okay, well, here's what you can, like, really get away with. Yeah. Um I loved hanging out with him. He'd he he'd pick me up after school. We'd we'd go places, we'd go to dive Mexican restaurants and have tacos and and it's just I just miss him. Yeah, I miss he him very sounds
0: much. like he was your best friend. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So now we know a little bit more about Frank. So now Pabajo starts getting the all these uh Parole hearings, I understand yeah. your family really got into it, started fighting his parole. I know that San Francisco inspectors got involved with this as well as I believe members of the EMTs who responded to the house all have fought this on your behalf over the years.
1: Well, it's it's been an interesting process. Um, uh, it awoke something within our mom Um, she became a fierce advocate for the rights of the crime victims. She formed an organization that went to Sacramento to change the rules and regulations when we first started having these parole hearings, they started in 1980, Mm -hmm. they happened every year. And they did not allow victim participation. Okay. And she and a number of other impacted individuals came together, formed an organization called Justice for Murder Victims, and they went and they took political action to change the rules and regulations and, and were ultimately successful. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll say the climate was different in the 80s, and I think it was more receptive to the pain of victims. Mm-hmm. Um There's something on the books now called Marcy's Law. You've probably heard of it. Yes, I have. So the rights of victims are now, you know, enshrined in the state constitution. Um, Whether the state is actually living up to the law and the terms and conditions specified is a matter of interpretation. But the bottom line is um, uh, we have had. 17 of these hearings and now in April, we're going to have the 18th hearing mm-hmm. and. I have no doubt in my mind. We're going to hear the same story about. um A troubled individual with. Uh. A problematic past who still hasn't really come to grips with. What he has done? And why he did it?
0: Yeah, and that—that's fairly common. I've come across a number of cases and individuals. They want to pass the buck for their behavior, and yeah. that things that Pavaggio does is he doesn't want to take responsibility for his own actions.
1: Well, my mom was a fairly compelling individual, and she really worked the system. <laughs> By 1984, she was enjoying it so much she went to work as a full-time staff assistant for. Congressman Tom Lantos of San Mateo County. Mm-hmm. And he worked for Tom Lantos until he passed away in 2008. And then my mother retired at the age of 90. And she dedicated her entire late-stage career to not just crime victims, but 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 people in general that were getting jerked around and um they would come to Tom Lantos's office as sort of a Last resort, mm-hmm. and, and she would get out her Rolodex and she would help these people. She focused primarily on uh, military veterans, so it was all about VA care. It was about benefits that they were not receiving. It was about the very complex bureaucracy that 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 vets face and sometimes cannot navigate. She would do everything in her power to to help her clients, and she found it to be very fulfilling work
0: all right so now you've been involved in i would assume all every single one of these um because i understand it it's really just you and your spouse at this point so what are we doing to keep pavaju behind bars i know you said he's got a parole here and coming up this year
1: yeah in fact it's in april Mm -hmm. and uh what we do is we ask people out there good folks like your listeners, to please send a letter of objection to the California State Department of Corrections. And I've got a website. We make it really easy. It's plug and play. They accept either emails or written communications. Some people are uncomfortable with using electronic communications. So there's the old-fashioned Stone Age way of writing a letter and putting a stamp on it. Mm -hmm. Um, We give you all the instructions you could possibly need. We give you a pre-written one if you can't think of what to say, because candidly, a lot of people just say, hey, I I, I don't know what to do here. I don't know what to say. So um, it's about reminding the parole board that um, there are people out there that still care about my brother, that look at the um, totality of Pabajo's crime, and find it really troubling that he would be released back into society. Um, my mom along the way, I think because she was a very sympathetic individual, um, got a couple of leaked copies of his psychiatric evaluations. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a sociopath. Yeah, he is a sick demented sociopath and he is not curable. And um, we just try to um, use whatever means at our disposal to to remind the state of California that we have not forgotten.
0: Yes. And that that is the whole reason for this interview is because this individual, if I'm not mistaken, he passed on his last opportunity, which to, for parole. Or to, for a hearing, which basically meant you had to go through all the motions, only to find out at the last moment. Correct?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of brinksmanship in the process, and yeah. I won't get into it because it's just full of timetables and and requirements and filings, and and I mean, it's just it it's not designed to enable people like us to participate.
0: Yeah. And he, well, at least my opinion, just from the outside, it's like he's playing a game.
1: He's totally playing a game because he, he wants to be in control. And he he can't be in control, but these are things that he can control because yes. of the ability for him to manipulate timetables and filing deadlines and, and requirements and, and, and things of that nature. Um, that um unfortunately, you know hey, you got to have rules and regulations in life. I'm I'm not saying you shouldn't. But that just means that somebody who's really smart can game the system. And that's what these guys do. They compare notes, and they all know how to play us as a society.
0: Yes, which and uh, part of one of the end results of that is that you have to re-experience the feelings and emotions that you've gone through over the years.
1: Which is, I think, what he wants. I think he wants to do that.
0: Yes, that that plays into his, you know, the the sociopathy of inflicting pain on the others because he gets gratification. And I bring this up because some people don't may not realize this guy. The crimes were absolutely awful. The individual responsible is just the, you know, the bottom of a barrel as far as being a human being goes.
1: Um, and and the other thing I think your listeners need to know. Um, because we've, you know, done the math, and i've i've i'm I myself am involved in a lot of victims organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a propensity on the part of the parole board to let the offenders out when nobody shows up from the other side. Yes. And I think it's because it's easy for them to do that because they think, well, okay, so nobody's showing up on behalf of the victim. I guess that means nobody's around the cares. So I'm not. I'm not doing anything uh, that would damage a family or, 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 or a victim mm-hmm. by, by giving the bad guy the benefit of the doubt. Um, and and it's, it's just, it's troubling, but it's how this stuff operates.
0: Yes. And that's one of the reasons individuals like Manson's followers have stayed behind bars. Is because people step forward for the other side and say, "Hey, no, we don't want this to happen." That's correct. Um, so now, how can people? Where can they find the information about your brother, and as well as the what's the website?
1: Okay, the website is one word justiceforfrank.org. dot org.
0: so you can go to justiceforfrank.org. dot org. As Eric said, there are links you can click on that will auto create an email for you i have done it another a number of individuals i know who i've sent it to have done it um so if you want to help keep this individual behind bars angelo Pavajo, that's justice for org. um we're just at about our allotted time is there anything you'd like to leave the listeners with
1: yeah i think one of the things You find out if you're exposed to this kind of thing firsthand after it's all sort of behind you as an event. um, How people interact with you, it it changes. And I think that's human nature. Um, I myself have found uh, people that I thought I was close to just sort of fading into the distance because this lived experience is too troubling for them to process. At the same time. I have found a tremendous amount of kindness and and empathy and support from complete and total strangers. Um, and. You know, my mom, who I love beyond words, um, she was a pretty amazing person and you can click on the website and see things about her um she told me like literally like just before she passed away she said people you count on are going to disappoint you but perfect strangers are going to amaze you and through it all you're going to be loved and i just i think that all the time so thank you thank you to your listeners um bearing a burden like this is not easy and it is only because of people like you that people like us can get to the other side oh.
0: I appreciate you coming on and as I told you when we met last week I'm gonna put this out as often as I possibly can because your brother's memory doesn't need to be forgotten. You and your family don't need to be forgotten. And this individual needs to stay right where he is until they shovel dirt over him.
1: Thank you, Ian. And yeah. thank you for your time. And thank you, listeners.
0: You are welcome. And thank you for coming on the show, Eric. I appreciate it. Again, that website is justiceforfrank.org. You can also find them on Facebook and Instagram. Just look for Justice for Frank. I know they have. There's daily posts. You share it. Let your friends know about it. Get it out to everybody that you can. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening. The Deathcast is a production of Corpse Creek Publishing. Until next time, stay morbid.